This is Thoughts from the Metal Cavern, where only one opinion matters, and it's not yours. G'day there and welcome to today's episode, today's program. And yes, you're copying another of It's a Ponderous Life. Um, The other sections of the podcast are all running a little bit behind on uh, putting forward their podcast episodes. So you've got me again this week to complain and carry on about a ponderous life. Now if you're like me and you've spent the last six weeks or so, um, watching various sporting events on free-to-air TV, then you would know full well that we have reached the period of time when the ratings periods are back. And uh, generally it always starts when school goes back that last week of January or the first week of February. And so this is the week that the commercial networks in Australia have unleashed their brand new shows onto the screens. And They've spent the last six weeks promoting them ad nauseum on their ad breaks during the tennis or the cricket or whatever Channel 10 shows during their summer when they don't have those sports. So what I've done for today's program is I've chosen three reality shows to speak about and three game shows to speak about that are all starting up again this week. Some are new shows and some are returning shows. So when we talk about reality shows, uh, Channel 10 have been promoting the crap out of the return of Australian Survivor. Uh, Channel 9 has been promoting the crap out of Married at First Sight. And Channel 7 has been promoting the crap out of Australian Idol. Now, I don't watch any of those three programs. I have in the past, except the one in the middle, but I don't watch them now. So my opinions may well not necessarily marry up with what you believe about these programs. But let's talk about these three reality programs. So Survivor, of course, started in America, and uh, I watched American Survivor probably from about season three, I think it was. Uh, I didn't watch the first couple of seasons, and in fact, only started watching because one of my best mates said, oh, yeah, I watch Survivor, it's great. They do this, they do that, they... They stab each other in the back, they tell lies, they have immunity, and eventually someone wins a million bucks in America. So it got to the point where I think I started watching it because he said, you should watch Actually, I remember now, we were in Sydney going to uh, a test match at the SCG. I'm pretty sure it was against India or England. Whichever test it was, it was a dreadfully dull affair. We'd had a very bad day. And we were staying in Sydney overnight and going again the next day. So we stayed in Sydney in this hotel room and everyone else had fallen asleep in a drunken slumber. And then uh, my my mate Kiro uh, and I were watching America, uh, The Survivor and he said, yeah, you should watch this, whatever. And I watched the episode. I thought, oh, that's interesting. So I'll stick with it. So eventually I started watching the following season and uh, my wife Helen got involved and started watching it and she loved it as well for the game play and all that kind of stuff. And so we kept watching it season after season. Then 
I did up until, and I honestly don't remember what season it was. It's it's some time ago now. Um, it's it was probably into the teens sometime. And there were two particular seasons that really got my goat. So there was one where there was a guy called Aussie, uh, not as in Aussie Osborne, not as in Aussie 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 Oi Oi Oi, but he was by far the strongest athletically player in the game. And so he basically, <laughs> once they got to, they had the team challenges and he always helped his team pretty much win the challenge every week and they rarely had to go to tribal council uh, and everyone loved him. He was fantastic in the team sense. And then once we got to um, individual challenges and individual immunity, he more or less got to the point where he had to win immunity every week or else he was going to get voted out of the game because they were getting down to the tin tax. And I always thought that was interesting because there was another guy called Yule who played in that season. And he was obviously the smartest guy. He was the, the tactician. He was the, the guy who worked everything out. He knew what people were thinking. He knew which way they should vote and all that kind of stuff. So they had Yule, who was the smart guy, and Aussie, who was the strongest athletic guy. And in the long run, um, they got to the point where Aussie just had to keep winning immunity challenges to keep staying in the game, and he did. It was amazing that he just you know you'd think that even with the other three or two or four or whatever it was as they went down, working against him, that eventually they'd find a way to beat him, and they couldn't. So he kept winning immunity, so they couldn't vote him out, and it got down to the final uh, elimination, and Yule was one of the ones who'd made it through with Aussie and whatever, and. Aussie had the chance to vote Yule out of the game, out of the final uh, two or three. And that would have meant that, realistically, I believe, he would have won that game because he was the best, strongest player, even though the other two would have tried to weasel their way into winning it and getting the, vote, the jury to vote for them. All he had to do was vote Yule out, and he wouldn't do it because he'd more or less said, no, we've gone this far together, we're going to go to the trial together. And he obviously believed that the jury was going to vote for him because of his strength in winning challenges. And they didn't. <laughs> he got beaten by five votes to four. And that was, for me, that was a shit finish. I really, I, I was cranky at him, firstly, for blowing the fact that he should have got rid of Yule and, and gone with the others. But he didn't. And then the fact that he didn't win and he got voted off and, and lost and finished second... That, to me, I thought, well, that was really annoying uh, because he was obviously the strongest player in the game that season. And then it was either the next season or the season after that Russell Hance came into the game. Now, Russell Hance was by far the best tactician in the history of Survivor. I know there are others who believe that Boston Rob was the best player and the smartest bloke and the best tactician, but I absolutely disagree. Russell Hance was fantastic. He was a guy... And he was the guy who pioneered just looking for idols without clues. So before this, everyone would wait for the clue to come about where the idol is, and then they'd go try to read the clues and try to work out, and they'd go look for the idol and hopefully find it. Russell Hance went out without clues and just started wandering around the island and looking for places under trees and shrubs and all this kind of stuff. And he kept finding them all the time and it was brilliant because then he'd go to tribal council and they'd say oh well we're going to uh, we're going to vote this guy off and he'd just say oh I've got an idol there you go 
And so we'd play it. And then the next week they'd all say, well, obviously the day, the next day or two days later for them, but the next episode, they'd say, right, he had that idol, he's played it this week, it's all good, but he'd already gone out and found another one. And he read those people so far. He played them against each other. He was absolutely brilliant at being able to read people so well that he would get them to a certain point and then he would change sides perfectly and blindside these other people that he'd sort of gotten to this point to do what they were going to do. And it didn't matter because they got voted out. And he didn't win. Um, mainly because they let a panel of people who had been voted off and basically been blindsided by him decide the winner. And I'm pretty sure he lost 7-2 in the final votes. And it was just a travesty of justice because he was by far the best player in that game. And just because people didn't like him, um, they voted against him. And it wasn't for the fact that the other person had played the game better or was smarter or outwit anyone. It didn't have that just because they didn't like him. And even uh, the host, Jeff, said this at the, the final gathering. He said, the reason that he didn't win is because you people didn't like him, not because he wasn't the best player. So that was great for television drama and all that kind of stuff, but it really lost me. And then I think he came back the next season on a, a Heroes versus Villains thing, and I think he made the final shot again, but again finished second or third or whatever it was. And after that, I just thought, well, I don't need to watch this anymore because for me, the best players always got voted off early. Um, and I know that's the game. Don't get me wrong, but... It's still, I just couldn't stand watching it. So then they had Australian Survivor came into it, and they we had the first season. I watched the first season of Australian Survivor, and they had uh, a first class cricketer from Queensland, Lee Castledine, was actually in the show, and he formed a partnership in more ways than one with another contestant whose name I don't remember. Anyway, these two both got to the end with another girl who had been on the bottom all the way, and she'd scrapped her way and begged her way to stay in the game each week. And then somehow she convinced him, convinced Lee to take her to the final instead of the one he was with. And so he did, for whatever reason, and then they all voted for her instead of him. It was just so dumb. And then she got the cash and jumped around and she said, I was the best player. Look at me, I, I... You all thought I was hopeless because I was always the last one at the bottom, but I was actually being really tactical about it, and it was absolute bullshit. (laughs) Absolute crap. And so that was the end for me, because there's someone who totally did not deserve to win that game, but she won, got all the money. Yeehaw. Is it still good? You know what? I don't know. My wife and kids still watch it, Um, and, you know, they... No, sorry, not all my kids, but well, actually they probably are all still watching it, aren't they? So they're all lining up to watch the new series, whatever series they're up to for the Australian thing. They love it, and I, I, I don't like the backstabbing and the stupidity, and I know it's the way they film it as well, and the way they cut it to for TV to show, you know, they cut out bits that you think you don't need to know, but actually if you watched it all, you'd see it in a different manner. And I understand that it's all about outwit and outplay and all that kind of stuff but the people who are generally the best in the game do not win the game and to me there is something fundamentally fundamentally flawed about that concept so let's talk about married at first sight 
a show that I have refused to watch and will continue to refuse to watch. Apparently it's been going something like 10 years. How has this show been going 10 years? My goodness, are you people out there watching it? Do you have no life? Have you watched everything in existence and this is all that's left? The ads are enough for me for Married at First Sight. Uh, watching the ads, that's painful. I couldn't put myself through watching a whole episode along with more ads about other crap. And look, the concept I can live with, finding matches for people who have not been able to find the right partner in life for whatever reason it is, whether they just, they're not very social or they've been unlucky in love or I don't know, whatever it is. But I don't have a problem with that sort of concept. But it's skewed for conflict and drama, not for making people happy and having them find the right person they can spend the rest of their life with. And it's not really a reality show, because a reality show would match people up who have the same interests with the best chance of finding a happy existence together. And Married at First Sight doesn't want that. It wants drama, and it wants conflict. And it takes the worst aspects you can think about in a relationship and magnifies them under the spotlight of the camera. And that's really hard just to watch on the ads let alone watching the show and watching the people go through all of that crap i don't know how many actual relationships have succeeded over the years i know there've been a couple and apparently there's a there's some that have actually lasted the length of time that we're at that they're still together but generally i'm sure it's something like 90% of these relationships don't last and of course don't last firstly beyond the, the the stretch of the show let alone three months later or six months later it's just you know they <laughs> it's ridiculous and look i have no interest in finding out i really don't care because i have no interest in seeing people falling out over things that they should never have come together for in the first place it's just another platform for and this is what it is, it's another platform for people seeking fame on TV in order to progress their own uh, life or career or anything like that after the show's over. They get their face on TV, they get um, their personality out there, their interests out there, and then they hope that someone's going to come to them afterwards and say, oh, I saw you on Married at First Sight, and apparently, oh, you're... uh, you're whatever it is. I don't know. I can't even think of something to make up. Maybe you'd like to come and work for us, or would you like to be put up on the screen somewhere else and do this kind of stuff? <sighs> right, look, I'm sure you know, that it's telev- television that attracts a marketplace. It attracts the kind of people who want to see this kind of drama acted out on the screen and laugh at people at how awful they are or how stupid they are or how sad it is for this person all that kind of stuff and i am not a part of it i honestly cannot be a part of that uh and pretty much exactly like i said and actually the good thing about it is that no one in my family wants to watch it so i don't have to abuse them for doing that but pretty much like i said for survivor the way that this show is acted out and what it brings together and, and the worst aspects that it brings out, there is something fundamentally flawed about this concept.
So now we come to the third reality show that I was speaking of earlier, and this is Australian Idol. And here's another one I'm going to say once again. How is Australian Idol still running after all these years? It started off, I don't know how long ago, 20 years ago maybe? It must be 20 years. And I know it was off air for a long time, and Channel 7 have just revived it. And uh, they must obviously be getting some sort of people watching it because it's on again right now. But... It's an awful show, and I know people like to see people up on on stage singing and, and hearing great voices, and there's no doubt that we do get to hear that. But it preys on the hopes and dreams of ordinary Australians who just want to become famous, and that's what it's all about. It's not about making a career, I don't believe. It's more about becoming famous, and when the show first started, it probably was more directed towards finding just people who could sing and, and, and hopefully have some sort of a career uh, out of it by getting a record deal and then you know going out making records, doing tours and becoming you know terrific singers from what they believed that they wouldn't have been able to do without that uh, exposure on TV. And that's where the problem still lies. Um, because now... And certainly for some time, not just on this show, but on all the other music shows like The X Factor and um, what, are, what are the other ones? The ones where they turn around and whatever is blind. And I don't, can't remember. But you basically can't get on a show anymore unless you have an amazing backstory and preferably a tragic one that you are overcoming in the best way possible or something like that. Because... That's what they want on TV. They want to be able to do the backstory first and highlight you know, the terrible tragedy you've had to face or the, or the awful upbringing you've had or just the troubles you've had to get to this point or your family members or whatever, and then we'll put you on the TV and you can sing and you know, maybe you get chosen and maybe you won't. And if you get chosen, will you, how far will you progress? I don't even know anymore. Um, because then... You have the people who are awful or just not good at all, or just plain, plain ordinary everyday singers, that then allows the judging panel to be cruel or rude or whatever it is for, you know, to them for even attempting to come up and try and sing on the screen. Um, and they're also the kind of people who want to get up there and be famous just for being bad, I guess, and have a laugh, and then hopefully they get something out of that as well. So look, I watched the first two seasons of Australian Idol back in the early 2000s, and for those who are old enough to remember it, the the first uh, series was the one that Guy Sebastian won over Shannon Knoll, and I think there are other people in that series who actually went on and did quite well out of the music industry as well. And the second series was when Casey Donovan won over Anthony Kalia. And again, there were people in that series who went on to do well. And then I just moved on because as good a singer as Guy Sebastian is and uh, Casey Donovan is and, and Shannon Noel and Anthony Kalia, I just didn't care. I didn't care who won. I wasn't invested enough in the people in the competition to really care about who was going to win and get a recording contract and whether they actually did anything beyond that anyway. Um, because 
the show then became more about the antics of the judges than the actual performances of the people in the show. Now, initially, there was guys like Mark Holden, Cole Sanderlands, Ian Dixon, who were the judges on the show. I think Marsha Hines was also on there at one stage. And Marsha Hines was you know, fine. But the other three were basically trying to upstage everyone with, with how um, crude they could be, how rude they could be, uh, how much they knew about singing and all that kind of stuff and that I'm I'm the star here and if I don't think you perform well I'll get into you and if you have I'm going to be the first one here to say that you sang beautifully you're the greatest singer I've ever seen and make sure that I be, get my face more on the screen than anybody else so the other problem was that the winners always felt predetermined uh, it always seemed likely after the first two or three episodes that you could pick the winner out of two or three people no matter what was going to happen down the track and as I've said before, already today, I think there's something fundamentally flawed about that concept. So that's the three reality TV shows that uh, have started this week in Australia. If you're listening to this when it's been the podcast episode has been released, if not, then you are behind the times and you might actually be better off because of it. The other thing that started this week are the game shows again, and everyone loves a great game show. They love to see people winning lots of money and thinking, I could be on there, I could be winning lots of money. Um, From someone who has actually been on Family Feud, I can tell you that that's not always the case. Uh, Channel 10 has resurrected Deal or No Deal and um, has the lovely Grant Denyer, who is hosting that. Uh, So it'll be entertaining, at least, no doubt. Channel 9 has a new show called Tipping Point that they advertise all the way through the tennis, being hosted by uh, Mark Woodbridge. Sorry, Mark Wood, Todd Woodbridge. Get his name right, not Mark Woodford, it's Todd Woodbridge. And Channel 7, as always, still has The Chase, which has now been a very long-running show that was based on the British show as well. So, I've seen Doodle No Deal before, so I haven't seen the new one with Grant Denyer as yet. Uh, not something I've been rushing out to watch. We all know the concept. We saw it on Channel 7 when Andrew O'Keefe was hosting, before Andrew O'Keefe went crazy. And you pick a number of the briefcase, one of the briefcases, I think there's 20 of them, and you pick one that's going to be yours. And then you start picking off the ones that uh, are left. And in the long run, your offer for what you could possibly win goes up if you keep all the high-numbered um, Cases like if the case has got 10,000 or 20,000, if you keep all those in there, then your offer goes up. But of course, if you lose those, then your offer is going to be down to like about $500. And you could get to the very end and just see what's in your case. Uh, or you could take the offer before it gets to that case and see. And sometimes you could win, sometimes you could lose. So there's no real skill involved. It's just picking numbers, hoping the big numbers aren't in the case that you select and trying to work out when the right time is to cash out. It's fun, and the host always helps, and uh, Grant Daniel will be good at that, I've got no doubt. So that'll still be entertaining. Channel 9 has Tipping Point, and I've watched the first two episodes of Tipping Point, and I must say that (laughs) having watched it, it's a pretty hard task to want to give an hour every day to watching that show. 
So basically, at least it, it, there's two concepts here. Firstly, there's general knowledge. You need to answer general knowledge questions in order to get uh, tokens to be able to use in the big game. And it's like those arcade machines where you put in coins at the arcade machines and it goes down and the machine keeps pushing them forward and pushing them forward. And then eventually, uh, if there's enough coins there, it'll push all the coins down into the basket and you get to keep that money. In this case, the more coins you get, it's about... it's. Uh, $1,000 per uh, token that goes down. And at the if you get through and you get the most money in the first round with three people, then you go to the next playoff, which is two. And then if you get through that, you get to the, just the one, which is the final thing. And you get a bigger token. And if you can get that bigger token to drop, then you win $20,000. Um, that's the basic concept. Uh, so it helps to have some general knowledge because the more questions you get right at the right time, you, the more tokens you get, so the more chances you get of getting your tokens go down. Uh, and if you've got no general knowledge, you're in big trouble, really. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of still a lot of chance to it. Um, as much as your general knowledge is very important, uh, you still need to be able to put these tokens in the right area to try and get the other all the tokens down the two levels that it takes. So it's an interesting watch, and they've obviously filmed a number of, or well, a lot of the episodes, and the first one they showed someone won the $20,000, so it's obvious that they took that from whatever, the first week, second week, third week that they filmed, and they just threw that on first so that everyone saw someone win $20,000, so you got the concept of the game straight away, and now you can continue to watch and see when the next person is going to do it, if it happens at all. Um, Todd Woodbridge is fine as the host. Uh, but, um, yeah, the contestants sort of have trouble sort of being really excited and, and being personable, I guess. That's what they're looking for as well. It just takes an hour, and the hour with ads is a pretty hard slog. So um, I might tune in again sometime later on and see how that goes, but uh, you know what? There are probably better things to watch. Which brings me to The Chase, which, again, is a show where at least you also get the general knowledge section and then you get to play against the chaser, who obviously are supposed to know more than anybody else. Um, different chasers every day, so you've got different personalities. Um, you get some smart people on there. But no one goes for the big money, and if they do, they get knocked out pretty quick. And then you get to the end, and unless you've got at least three people there, you're not really getting enough questions right to beat the chaser. So it does get repetitive. And like... Um, Bradley in England, who hosts the England version of the show, is very personal, and he makes that show as fun as it is. Um, there's no real problem with the Australian show, but our host, Larry Emder, is not quite as engaging or as entertaining <laughs> as as Bradley is. So it's still a good show to watch when you've got nothing to do at 5 o'clock in the afternoon and you just want to sit down and answer some questions, see if you know any general knowledge and see how you'd go. It's still probably the best option of those three game shows, I would suggest. Um, I know there are other game shows out there as well that are starting up, and maybe in another episode we'll test them out as well. But um, does anyone have time for game shows anymore? Are they are they a thing of the past? Um We've had uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, of course, on Channel 9 for years and years and years until this year. Uh, it started off, of course, once a week 
in a nightly time slot, and then obviously that wasn't working, so they went for a faster version to be in the afternoons to try and beat the chase on Channel 7. Um, Channel 10 now are going with Deal or No Deal, which I believe is on at 6 o'clock, which is the same time as the news is on the other two channels. So they're looking to offer an alternative and hoping that people will watch that instead of their news. Um, yeah, it's none of them are hard quiz, are they? And if you haven't watched hard quiz, that's one you should definitely watch on the ABC. Um, hard quiz would kill any of these game shows. If it was up on against it in the same time slot, it would win hands down every time. Good day. Well, that's it for this week's program of It's a Ponderous Life. And as you can see, my life is very ponderous if I'm uh, on here reviewing reality shows and game shows for you. Uh, <laughs> we ponder on ponderously as we go along. Uh, being back at work sometimes makes that very difficult. Anyway, I hope that you've enjoyed today's program. And uh, hopefully next week we will have one of our other programs for you to listen to. Uh, perhaps a movies one with Helen, uh, perhaps some crap talking with Josh, or maybe the long-awaited return of Jezebel. We'll just have to wait and see. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you'll come back for the next episode, whatever that may be, on Thoughts from the Metal Cavern. Cheers. You have been listening to a Metal Cavern production.